I met John Claude many years ago by God's sovereign grace and his providence and then had the blessing of meeting Wendy, his dear wife, a few years well, when you get the first time we met in the flesh was when you both came out to, to visit us when we were out in Oregon. And our hearts were just knit together right away, right away. And, and you always feel like when you meet saints from afar or saints that you haven't met before that you feel like you've known them for your whole life. It's just incredible. And, well, we all have the same Father and the same Spirit and the same Savior. So, Brother Jean-Claude... It's an honor to have you here to preach and proclaim the gospel, to have you and Wendy here. You come and preach Christ to us, brother. Good evening, all. And thank you, Wayne, for these kind words. It is a real privilege and an honor for me to uh, have been invited to this uh, 22nd inter- international annual conference in Almont, and uh, it's it's great to be with you to see you again after two years uh, absence, and uh, look forward to uh, time of blessing, just visiting with each other. Uh, Wendy and I have been in the U.S. for several weeks now. We're nearly to the end of our stay, but we have uh, been really blessed, and I would, be, I would be really hard put to tell which place have been, uh, has been the best blessing, and I don't even want to get into that. And so it is very good to see you. I want to, I know this is streamed, isn't it? This is live streamed. So I want to um, greet also two very dear friends who are not with us here in this building because they cannot, by reason of age, be with us, but they have said they will follow the, um, the time together and uh, people who really love the gospel and uh, have a special heart for the same area in the world as I have, Africa. So I really want to uh, greet them in the Lord's name. But we've come to... Um, Look at the Word of God, and I would like to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And during this uh, time of conference, I want to look at the gospel in three words. And uh, so this is quite simple. As I read the passage, you will see that uh, we would need a whole lot more words to describe the passage. But uh, we have to be selective, and I want to bring three particular words, one tonight, and then we'll go on tomorrow and Sunday. So Isaiah 53, and I hope you won't be put out by the fact that I read from the New King James Version, but uh, the Old King James Version is just too much for a Frenchman. (laughs) Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed our report, and to whom as the arm of the Lord been revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of com- or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. And this is the word of God. This evening, I'd like to look uh, into this first word, which is sinfulness. Here we find sinfulness, especially in verse 6. In verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we know these words so, uh, so much. We're familiar for many of us with these words. We have to be very careful not to... Uh, slide over them and uh, keep the the power of the words. Now, uh, there are several reasons why I want to uh, bring this. It's a sort of uh, recap for many of us, but often we need to come back to uh, the Baybone gospel, I would say. Uh, We tend to make it complicated. The gospel is not, but it is full and it is rich but not complicated, but we, make it, we tend to make it complicated. And uh, the reason, uh, one of the reasons for, for this is that today the world around us uses words in a very sort of loose way. Uh, and uh, uh, in the 
uh, religious circles, it's very similar. And I would say uh, most uh, universally, we don't care so much for words, for the meaning of the words, for the power of the words. And uh, we tend to think that people understand what we say, but they don't. They don't. And uh, often we will use a word and people will take another word. Um, uh, I deal with um, publishing books and uh, uh, translate some uh, uh, books by some very faithful men. And one thing I've noticed is that uh, if you take a book, say, of the 17th century, uh, the English language is uh, uh, quaint, but it's very precise. And I, I've worked on some books of very godly men who live today, some of them friends. Um, but words, the same word, will be used into, uh, for several meanings. And it's very difficult when you translate because you've got to translate three, several words. So we, we need to be careful and we need to come back to say, well, this is what this word means because we tend to uh, get the teeth out of the word and it doesn't have any power. And uh, uh, the, the result of that is that uh, when some, somebody comes to uh, see the light of the gospel by God's grace and God works in him uh, and her, um, the, these words are marvelous, but little by little they lose their, their real power. And then the next step is that the life with uh, the, the life of union with the Lord becomes kind of tarnished. It, it, it doesn't shine so much. And uh, whereas if we see, for instance, this word, sinfulness, uh, the, the real power of it, then our Christian life, our Christian living, that is our witness, our living Christ, where he has placed us, will get its shine again. Uh, under God's grace. So this is uh, really um, a reason which um, I see that in my own life and I see that very often around me. So this is why um, I want to spend time uh, here. Uh, see, in three words, so it will be sketchy, obviously, but what is the gospel and what it isn't? Because that is important. Another reason is that um, I find uh, I meet with people who have been well taught and they, uh, some people who can express the truth very uh, correctly and precisely the truth of the grace of God I mean the grace of God in Christ alone and uh, uh, people who have been well taught, biblically taught and uh, uh, Maybe you place yourself into that category. But at that point, there seems to be something missing because we stay and we get content with just an intellectual knowledge. By that I mean knowing the facts about what God has done in Christ. And that is just not enough. Because if we stay with the facts which are true, I'm not talking about kind of weird teaching. No, facts which are true. But if we stay at that level, then that burning relationship with the Lord very quickly gets cold. 
gets cold. And uh, there is not this sort of uh, pulsating, vibrant relationship, this living the Lord in front of this hostile world. And uh, some people will say, well, this is just religious. No, it isn't. It isn't. Because the Lord has left his church on earth, not so that we worship him here. Uh, If all the believers were taken to heaven, the worship would be a whole lot better and more powerful. No, it is in order to leave a witness and to take the word to this world. Because that is the weapon he uses. So we need to be careful about that. Uh, we know something about the truth, and uh, this is uh, shown in our conversation. Uh, we tend to slide uh, into a, a sort of uh, using jargon, uh, pet phrases. You know, you ask a question, or you say hi in the morning, and you know the person say, by the grace of God, or more than I deserve, I'm better. That's what you know before they say. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use these phrases. But let us beware of them being just phrases. This is very important to my mind. Um, and I see that in myself. If ever this is not a danger which has touched you, um, beware because it will come. And uh, you may be the exception which proves the rule. So, um, another thing is that when we come to that, very often we slide into a hardness of spirit. We focus on the facts of truth and we become doctrinaires. That is, that the only thing we know is correctness. But we forget that the gospel deals with men and women of flesh who are dead in trespasses and sin, and the gospel, with the power of the Spirit, brings them to a new life. So um, this sort of hardness of spirit is so very unlike the Lord Jesus' spirit that it actually brings a sort of caricature of of the Lord. Uh, It is so easy to condemn people It is so easy to write them off and send them to hell when they're still walking on this earth. So we we need to be very careful because such an attitude, my friends, will bring those who are tainted by it, us, into the spirit of the Pharisees, being better than others. And frankly, we're no better than others. You say, but I've been a Christian for all these years and the Lord has used me and so on. Yes, it may be true. I'm not questioning that. But where the Lord to take his hand ever such a little offers, my friend, we wouldn't have anything to envy of the devil. Because that is only in the power of the Lord and his spirit that we can walk in his ways. Because these ways are not ways of the flesh. No, so we need to have more of these, uh, uh, like the old, uh, the old Christians, the old believers used to say, bowels of mercy. Now this is an old expression, you may think that's too quaint. Well, 
when we read in our Bible that the Lord was moved with compassion. Mark chapter 9, I think, is one place. Now, actually, the expression was that his bowels were constricted. And you can... Now, as I've said it, you felt what it is, haven't you? Yes. That is it. That is it. We need more of that. More of that. So, let's look at what the gospel is and what it isn't. And uh, uh, we want to point to the fact that the gospel gets hold of a heart, and that heart, which is gra- 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 grappled by the, by the gospel uh, under the power of the Spirit, will lead to a transformed life. Now, there again, there are people who work out in order to produce a transformed life. That is not the gospel. We know that. But the gospel produces a transformed life, not a perfect life. This is important to underline, uh, because it is a new creation. Now, the one who is impacted, the one who has a life of Christ in him, cannot walk just in ways of the flesh. But there will be things manifested visibly in his life which the flesh cannot produce. And when we see that, then we know that there's something more than the flesh. Some years ago, um, I think it was here, um, looked at with you with the the meeting of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, we know that the Spirit is working in his heart already, although he's probably not yet a believer, a new person. Why? Because he refuses impossibility. Do you remember he couldn't see Jesus? So what did, he, what did he do? Like a rich man, did he get his bodyguards to make a way for him to see Jesus? No, he ran to the, uh, the tree, went in the tree. Impossibility was not an option. Well, you know that the flesh doesn't do that. The flesh doesn't do that. So the consequence is that the Spirit of God is already at work. And... Uh, Uh, is at work in every heart which is renewed and that impacts the life. The old man again used to say uh, I can't hear what you say because what you do speaks too loud. And they had something in it. So let's see at this sinfulness in in verse 6. Because the gospel is good news that's what it means. But the good news starts with bad news. It starts with bad news. Uh, we can only speak of salvation because there is perdition. And uh, the question is, what does lost mean? Being lost, what does it mean? Is it just a religious concept? Or is it just one part of a, a system of salvation, a religious system? And uh, all the, this section in our text here helps us to see what is the meaning of being lost. I remember somebody very close to me um, years ago would say, yeah, the gospel is great. It's really great. It's a message of salvation for all the sinners. Uh, 
The problem was that that person didn't see herself as a sinner. So it was good for others, but frankly, um, you know, I'm already, uh, I'm, I'm already not lost. <laughs> Which is not really laughable. I mean, we smile, but uh, uh, anyway. So here, in verse 6, we see, what is it? It is to have gone astray. To have gone astray. That means to go here and there and back here and you don't, you don't know where you're going. There's nothing, there's no guide. There's a, a, no real focal point. In fact, somebody like this is not in danger to being lost. It, that person is already lost. It doesn't know his way. He's uh, astray. And this is really a, a true picture of man by nature. The men of this world, look at them. All those experts and scientists we have. They go one way, you wait just a few years, and they'll go the other way. No, it is this. One day they go to one place, next day they go to another one, and they do exactly the opposite, and then they come back to the beginning. Uh, James speaks about that sort of spirit when he says, uh, some some people say, well, I will go, in such a, to, go to such a place and uh, I will do business. I'll stay there a year and so on. And, and then uh, I'll come back. No. no. That is the world. It's going all over the place. And uh, as one uh, piles up the years, one realizes that uh, uh, this is what the world is made of. Promises which have no real substance. And... Uh, you're coming to uh, sort of uh, electoral uh, sort of uh, times there. And you will hear the promises. You already hear them. And you've heard them so many times. And it is, it is a wonder that people believe them. And being lost is that. You have no kind of marker. No marker at all. You are led astray. And on top of that... There are many merchants. There are many uh, merchants coming and trying to uh, take you all their own way. And in the process they get rich, of course. So when one is led astray, when one is without any uh, sort of bearings, then there's great danger. There's great danger. But Isaiah continues, or Isaiah brings some more, uh, more color to the pictures. He, he speaks of all we like sheep, like sheep here. And uh, uh, what Isaiah, the, the verdict he, he, he gives is even deeper than that. Yes, man is astray. Man goes without a, a goal in life and he faces death without really knowing where he's going. But he adds, like sheep, and uh, we've all seen a, a, a flock of sheep, at least in picture, but uh, um, this doesn't show us uh, animals which are going all over the place. No, no. Um, sometimes you, you see that on pictures or maybe videos, you have a whole flock of sheep and they, 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 they follow a certain pattern, they, they follow each other. And there is a, it's like a, a river, a big river with a, a, a big uh, lot of currents and movement which is very precise. So uh, why does the 
the flock go into this particular direction or uh, follows this movement because there is a shepherd. There is a shepherd. In biblical times, and sometimes still today, the shepherd will go in front of the flock and lead the flock. And therefore the flock knows where to go. Knows where to go. So when does the sheep begin to go astray? When? When there is no shepherd? When the sheep finds itself on its own? And uh, especially when the contact with the shepherd is lost. And uh, once this is uh, lost, there's no way the sheep can find the way. Just no way um, by itself. It is not paid for that. And man is such a creature. Such a creature. You look, the way man is constituted, and straight away it comes to our mind, the, the, the words of the psalmist, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, uh, sometimes you uh, switch on the news and you hear that there's been a great discovery about uh, uh, something, the makeup of man, and you say, oh, I would never have imagined that. Well, somebody's imagined it before. We're only discovering what is thought and created what the Lord has created. So it's wonderful. Everything has got order, function, uh, function, design, and so on. But now, you look at this man, wonderfully made. And really it is. And you look at the way he lives. You, were, you look at the way he lives. And uh, there is straight away all these pulsions, all these things driving this man to places and, and states which are ridiculous, even to his own, his own hurt. And uh, uh, everything shows that he's, he's lost. He doesn't know where to go. Why? Because he has lost the link with the source of life. There's no life now. It's just kind of uh, like a, a piece of coal, very hot at the beginning, and then it goes down little by little. There's no more contact He's lost. And death is the only answer, the only uh, destination for that. But Isaiah is even more precise here. We all, we like sheep, have gone astray. All. Um, <clears throat> there's something which is always surprising to see, and uh, uh, even in one's, uh, oneself. It is how we can see face to face, we can come face to face and really see the truth, understand it, and yet not be touched. In a, uh, one way or another, there is something in the human being, there is this sort of characteristic which pushes us by nature to think we are different. We are different. And, and for instance, uh, you, you, you remember P Peter. Peter say, oh Lord, even if all these forsake you and abandon you, I won't do it. I won't do it. And the Lord had to show him that uh, he was the first one to do it. He was the first one to So there's something written in us by the impact of sin which makes, me th makes us think that we are different. And it is so universal that the word brings that up regularly. That, yes, Lord, if all forsake you, I will not. 
Many people can go into uh, weird ideas about salvation, but I will not. As soon as you think that, you're already there. And uh, perdition, that is the state of sin, is absolutely universal. My friend, you may be uh, the, the walking the way of the Lord for decades, for longer than I've lived. But by nature, this is what we're made of. And this is what the Lord has come to deliver us from. It is absolutely universal. And we need to underline consistently that all, we were all led astray. We were all, um, as it says, like sheep, all have gone astray. No exception, not at all. But then Isaiah is even more precise. He continues by saying, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned Everyone. Everyone. God doesn't stop at just the universality of sin and therefore perdition and damnation. No, because even if man believes the universality of sin, there is still this thing which tries to unhook my own responsibility in saying, well, I'm part of the race. It's collective, it's com- communal. And, uh, but therefore, my own personal guilt is diminished. I'm not that bad after all because everybody is the same. You see, the human mind, my friends, is twisted. And we don't even begin to understand to what point until we, we look in the word of God. No, not at all. Each individually, each has followed his own way. And this, is show, this shows us that there is a dynamic which pushes man to turn always around himself. Around himself. In one way, he's, uh, uh, he's gone astray with regard to the creator and not knowing where he should go. Uh, also, at the same time, he has this sort of focal point to follow his own way. But because he's such an inconsistent creature, now that he has lost the real bearing, then he goes his own way, but it's to and fro and back and this. So everyone, and it is really personal, personal, each will follow his own way. And... uh, This shows us um, that this tyranny of his own way, his own will, his own the worship of himself prevents him to obey the living God. And this is why there is so much war in him, in his in his heart, there's so much hatred with what God wants. Such is my friends the guilt of the human being, of you and me, by nature. And this is what uh, Isaiah brings, in, brings out. Now, I know it's not very uh, pleasant to dwell on these things, but as I mentioned, the good news has to start with the bad news. 
You can't cure a, a fatal disease with, with just a, a sort of sticky, um, whatever you call it, um, you know, a bandage. You just don't don't do that way. No. So, what is the what is this this state now? It is a spiritual death. This is a spiritual death. And where do we see it? We see it here. Well, we see it in many ways, but especially in verse 1. What is the consequence, the direct consequence of this rebellion? It is that we look at the first, first verse, who has believed our report? And this is just a Hebrew way of saying nobody has. Nobody has believed our report, our message. No. And uh, so Isaiah and God, of course, shows that in his natural state, as he comes out of the womb, man cannot integrate, cannot accept, uh, accept at all the good news of what God has done in Christ. Now, this is the best message we can hear. Because our, our, our sort of... Uh, yeah, our, our, the horrible side of our life, the terrible side of our life, the, the fact that we cannot reach our, our, our ideals, whatever they are, faces us all the time. And yet we hear this news that there is a way out. Now, if there is fire in a building, you don't have to tell people many times where the exits are. You know, there'll be a stampede. But here, not so. Not at all. No. Because he cannot even understand it. It's different currency. It's different language. Totally. And this is why um, Paul explained uh, that the natural man, the man who has just his reason, he cannot even understand. He cannot hear. He cannot really uh, follow what the Lord has done, what the Lord does in salvation in Christ. Because man measures with the wrong standard, with the wrong two. Now look at uh, uh, chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant will, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And then we, we continue. Just as many were astonished at you, so his uh, visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what has not been told them they shall see, and what they have not heard they shall consider. Now, Isaiah shows that the Messiah will come in a certain way, and he will accomplish a certain work. Um, we will see that later. And, but he comes with power. The work of his hands will prosper. And this is a word which comes very often. It means bring it to completion. And he will touch, as we read in that uh, 52nd chapter, he will touch all the peoples of the, of the earth. There is not one nation today, my friends, despite what man can say, there is not one nation which has not been touched by the gospel. Not one. Because that is the promise of God. No. And uh, he will touch all the people of the earth. He will accomplish perfectly the work which has been assigned to him. And uh, 
if you say that to man, then this, the, the man to whom you're talking about this, will expect to see this great warrior, uh, uh, a great chief, somebody who will conquer. And our Lord is a great conqueror. Yes, but it doesn't come in this way. Not at all. You know, the Jews expected somebody will, would get the Romans out of Palestine. Uh, Peter was not expecting somebody was going to go to the cross. Not so, Lord. Not so. See, man wants the, the one who will come and reign over the, the whole world. Don't we have that today? Don't we have that today? He will come and reign for so many years in a certain place and so on. That is not God's work. Not at all. No. Because God doesn't work like this. Are the sheep uh, gone astray? So he must take his sheep and bring it to death. He will put his sheep to death so that the sheep may not be may not go astray that is how he does man has got the, the wrong yardstick and uh, because of that because of that his and, and linked with his rebellious heart this makes that he cannot see he's totally incapable by nature to see the truth of what God is doing. We've seen him and we've not even esteemed him. But he was doing the greatest work. He was doing what God had to do. Death must come. So he takes his sheep. He takes his lamb to death. But men are there say, hmm, he deserves it. He deserves it. People say, oh, he must, he must die for his sin. If he is the Christ, let him come down from the, the cross and save himself. My friend, because he is the Christ, he cannot come down from the, from the cross. If ever he comes down from the cross like this, he is not the Christ. He is not the Christ. Many false Christs say, you know, come with me, let's do this and that. No, no, the cross uh, but men look at that and they say, this is the greatest strategy in the world. No, it is the greatest victory in the world and in history. So man has got the wrong yardstick and a rebellious heart, and that prevents him. God has to work a work of new life, a work of regeneration. So man is dead to what God does and what God has done. Who has believed? Nobody has believed. Even Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, he speaks so clearly. Uh, some people call him the evangelical prophet because he's so clear. Who has believed our report? Nobody. Nobody. And then you see uh, Jesus himself comes and they say, oh, he has a demon. He has a demon. The Apostle Paul, so clear. Romans. It, I mean, it's sad, isn't it? It's hard to, hard to read and to understand. Yes, but it's there, very clear. No, no. He's talking about uh, let's do whatever because grace will, will, will go over this and 
you know, let's sin abound that grace uh, abounds even more. No, people don't understand the twist and so on. And, and often these are religious people. It's not so much the Romans who put Christ to death. Now, the consequences of that, because God has to reveal these things, otherwise man cannot see. You and I cannot see these things. And you may say, well, now I'm a Christian, I see them. But there's so many things, my friends, we don't see. Don't you have that sometimes as an experience? The preacher says, bring something out. Sometimes just reading the word. And you say, all these years, I've read that passage, I've never seen it. What is it? Have you become more clever? No. 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 We think we have, but we haven't. No. He has revealed it. He has revealed it. He has to reveal this and to give the life which actually can see the light. Because we have no light. We cannot cannot produce life and light. No. So what are the consequences of that? Because we could continue for a long time on that subject. The text in Isaiah is so rich. As I was reading it, I, reading it, I, was, I felt like having the wrong size uh, shirt, you see. Because you see, oh, I could speak on this and this and that. No, we haven't got time. Um, well, I have time, but maybe you don't have. <laughs> but let's see some consequences, because it's very good to have knowledge. And it's very bad to have just knowledge. Sin, my friend, is not a misfortune. It isn't. If we hear what is said around us in the world, and often in religious circles, and even in Christian circles, um, the state of man is something which has kind of fallen on him, just like this. You know, like, well, one day you've got a flu, or one day you get a, such a disease, you've not looked for it, it's just come just like this misfortune. And uh, it's a bit like a, a natural disaster. You see, you, you, go, you go your business and suddenly there's an earthquake. Well, you've not asked for it, you've not, you've not done anything for it, it just comes like this. And uh, if you listen to what people say, this is a case with sin. And this is a very dangerous lie because it transforms man into a victim. That is somebody who's done nothing about it and who is to be pitied. And uh, the result of that is that that man is free from the guilt of sin. It doesn't come from him. And this is so prevalent around us and maybe it has tainted your, your view of it. No, sin is not like this at all. Not at all. Whoever doesn't live according to the will of God, whatever it is, has decided to. Has decided to. That is a time, of, real time of decision. Yes, I know the truth. And often you have, even among brethren, sometimes you see somebody going the wrong way. And you say, brother, sister, have you seen... Do you realize what you're doing? Yes, I know. But still there's something. And we call it by all kind of nice names. But it is just that I've decided to go my own way. It's not misfortune. It is really my heart. My heart. This is not therefore the 
the uh, message of the Bible. No, the sin of man is rebellion. Rebellion. And it is a state. It is something we are. Somebody has said it's, a, it's kind of nuclear. It's in you and it radiates in you. And there's not one part which is not touched. And there's not... You, you, can, cut, you can cut an arm, it's still there. It's still there. Man is a sinner even before he sins. Some people say from conception. My friends... Philosophically, I would say it goes even further than that. Just the fact that both my parents are human, I am a sinner. Like we say, even, if, even before I was a spark in my father's eyes, I'm a sinner because he is a sinner. That's only what he can produce. See? No, we are sinners before we sin. And the thing doesn't come from outside at all. No, it is there. It is residual in the heart. And we cannot get rid of it by ourselves. So, the one who believes uh, biblical truth cannot blame anything else in order to escape his own guilt. Now, the one who has been saved, yes, the sin and the guilt of it has been put on another's shoulders. But it is still his guilt. His guilt. His sin. And therefore, my friends, there's no place for any personal glory. None whatsoever. These guys there, oh, they're such sinners. Well, maybe um, they, have, they are in circumstances and maybe they've got a makeup which is uh, opening them to certain sins which are maybe more obvious than others. But that is not sin, it's sins. But uh, sin is the same. It's the same. It's a state before God. State of rebellion, state of uh, putrefaction, state of... Uh, being odious to God. And uh, there is no personal glory at all. One other thing also is that any cooperation with those who deny the total responsibility of man is impossible. I cannot say man is totally responsible for his sins and walk in harmony with somebody who says, well, no, he's a victim. Some, something has come to it. So you see, today we're surrounded by this message. And if we believe the Bible, we cannot walk with these people. There's no possibility. Not at all. So this is one cons- consequence. consequence. Another one is that sin is universal in the absolute. And uh, this is true. Uh, on a personal level, this is true also on the sort of community level. There is not one man who is spared by sin. None whatsoever. And also, there is not one part of man which is not tainted by sin. Therefore, there's not one part of man, one even 
side of man which can contribute to salvation. And therefore, my message when I go and gossip the gospel or share the gospel or whatever you call it cannot make an appeal to what is tainted. Not whatsoever. And so therefore the fact that sin is universal, sin touches everything, that sin is from the the, 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 the foot right to the crown directs my own message, my own methods. You see, if I follow what the Word of God says, learn it and follow it, I cannot appeal to anything in man because there is nothing. Oh yes, there is a capacity of choosing. Man is a free agent. Yes. But I cannot say, man, you need to choose God. Because man being twisted, being separated from the source, from the fountain of all good, cannot, cannot, will, cannot want what is good. And God is good. God is good. So yes, I'm able to choose, but because of my nature, I will always choose naturally what is not good, what is according to me. See, So there is free agency, but not free will. And this is here, because sin is universal, absolutely universal. And that will free us uh, from using gimmicks, and things in order to get the results. Yes, in conversion, emotions will be sometimes um, touched and there will be an act of the will. Yes. But there is before that a new life which is given. And therefore, the will is in a sense a new will. And I don't need my nice music to kind of prepare people and this, these uh, endless appeals and all these things which are actually insults to such a, such a great being. You see? No. Just say the word. And this is so much better, so much easier. You don't have to find things and gimmicks. Not at all. Um, if one is quite imaginative, that can be quite easy, but others, some of us, are are not so good at that. No. But then, come back to the word. Come back to the word, and just say the word. You know, in churches, and and maybe, well, we're not immune to that, there is a lot of distrust of the word of God. Now, I guess you're all awake. (laughs) This is shocking to say that. How can I say that? We, we, want, we love the, the, the word of God and so on. Okay, why do we use other means to help the word of God? Is the word of God not enough? Is the spirit, does the spirit need a little help? No, no. The word and the spirit brings life. So you see, this is a consequence which is very real. And in myself, I want to grow. I want to love the Lord with all my heart. I want to serve him more and, and, and whatever 
whatever way we can express that. Am I going to try to find what is dormant in me and try to fan it to a flame in order to come to something which is pleasing to God? No. No. Because anything that could be pleasing to God in me is tainted by sin. Redeemed by Christ, if I'm, if I'm Christ's. But it's tainted by sin. So I'm not going to try that. No. What will I do? Go to the word. And live according to the word. See, often we say we need to fight against sin. And in a sense, there's no, nothing totally wrong with that. But I think there would be a whole lot of fighting and uh, uh, failure which would be avoided if we were just obeying. Obedience is better than sacrifices. Obey the word of God. But if you don't know the word of God, how can you obey what is said? So we need to be very careful about these things and to go back to what really God has done. You see, God has done something, but man cannot grasp it by himself. Therefore, I go to the word of God. And even the word of God, I can't understand it. And you know, you know enough people who are experts in the Bible, some of these commentators, and they know these words, you don't even know what they mean. And some of them are not necessarily false, but they don't know this, this word, the power of the word. So we go to the word, and even going to the word, we know that there is nothing in us, from us, which enables us to understand what God says. Apart from his spirit. Apart from his spirit. So this is why this union with Christ, which the spirit effects in the life of the believer, is so paramount. It's so central. It's so central. Well, another consequence of this is a constant humiliation and a constant gratitude. Gratitude. I think there is one question which typifies the, um, the real Christian. And that question is, why me? Why me? I can understand that God will save somebody if he pleases so. Huh? But frankly, why me? Why me? And you see people in the streets and they, they're far better than you. Or and put it this way, they're far better than me. Yes. They deserve, if I could say it this way, more. But it is not according to merit. Not at all. No. Why me? And here it's more this, this question of um, trusting just the truth and not going to the Lord of truth will prevent me from being given over, being overtaken, being swept off my feet by the spirit of gratitude and the spirit of humbleness. Why? Because I can understand better than the other one. And I know more of these words. But that is not the case. No, not at all. It is the Lord and there's nothing of me in it. And to the, to the last day, and beyond, there is nothing, nothing. And we have a beautiful parable of that. You will recall that uh, uh, in the garden, the man, uh, his wife, uh, the, the woman and the, the man, 
sinned and uh, God uh, confronted them and the serpent was there. Now, if you look very carefully in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord gives, the Lord God gives the first uh, expression of the gospel that the seed of the woman will crush the uh, serpent and there, there will be, there's this hope. Now, to whom does God speak when he says that? To the serpent. The man and his wife are there. They're spectators. There's nothing taken of the, They're not even part of the deal. Uh, the deal is not between God and the serpent. Believe me, it's between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you see, here, they're there. there will be beneficiaries, and they are already by grace, but they have no part in it. And therefore, what subject have I to glory? What is better in me? It's of no account. No account. I might understand better than others because I've, I've read more, because I've been able to really grasp what others have said. But this is just accumulated knowledge. That is not union. That is not union. So therefore, a, consequences, a consequence of seeing this truth will make me humble. And not even be proud of being humble, which is often the case, isn't it? We can twist everything. Well, I can twist everything. No, that will make me humble. That will make me grateful. Grateful. Oh Lord, I don't understand it. But by faith, that faith which you have given me, I just believe what you've said. I just believe what I said. And then, also, this will fire my heart to persuade others. Because I haven't got any more reasons to be touched by the grace of God than they have. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And I will persuade, try to persuade them. If I could save them, I would save them. You see what I mean? You know it's not possible, but you see the Spirit... If I see that salvation is the salvation of somebody who is sinful, and that will give me a heart to go out and to follow the mandate which Christ has given to his church. And uh, something maybe we need to think more and more uh, as we go by. So you see, we have uh, this, uh, this word which shows us that there is sinfulness and this is the beginning of the gospel. This is part of the gospel, of the good news. That there is nothing at all in man which can be used for salvation. And I just pray that each one of us can see this by the help of the Spirit and give glory to God. Amen.